Well, hello and welcome to the Integrated Business Planning Experience, a podcast where supply chain solution practitioners and thought leaders from business and industry who've been there and done it come together to share insights and advice on all things SAP Integrated Business Planning, or IBP. I'm your host, John Wilson, and I have the pleasure of guiding you through some fascinating conversations about how to unlock the secrets of IBP and how it can help your business. Whether you're into amateur dramatics like my teenage daughter, or you've been nominated for Tony Awards, there'll be something here for everyone. Now, this episode is part of our second season, and if you're new to the podcast, please feel free to buy a program and settle in and enjoy the 11 amazing episodes from season one. Now, each episode will have some fantastic guests who will be sharing real-world use cases of how business is doing integrated planning. Fortunately, I'm not here alone, but joining me in the box seat is a man who's no stranger to the stage, the incredibly talented Mr. Mark Golly. Welcome, Mark. Hi, John. How are you doing? <laughs> Very good. Now, Mark, there may be some people out there who are, who are just discovering the, the podcast for the first time. And this might be their opening night. Perhaps do you want to give us a short summary of your role in the cast of IBP actors that make up this wonderful production? Yeah, thanks, John. Listen, I like to be the executive producer, not the actor at the front. So you know, somebody else can accept the chocolates and flowers. Um, so I'm just a humble, um, self-deprecating leader um, of um, IBP and thought um, leadership um, in the supply chain space. And I just get immense enjoyment out of, I guess, three things. Uh, sharing what I know, which is obviously very little um, with others. Um, listening to other success stories, particularly um, somebody like um, Ego, um, taking away those nuggets of brilliance and stealing them with pride. I'm sorry, I meant to say four, not three. And then actually celebrating others' um, success, resilience and ingenuity. That's what I really um, get enjoyment, but I enjoy it from behind the scenes, not 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 on the stage. So that's me. No, no production is complete without the backstage crew and a stage manager like yourself. That's it. Now, you mentioned uh, in, in this episode, uh, we are going to be talking um, to Dave Booker, who is the strategy program and IBP manager at Ego Pharmaceuticals. And Ego really is a, a, an Australian success story, you know, coming from, uh, you know, starting in a laundry in, in, in Melbourne. Um, but Dave, welcome to the podcast. Maybe you could uh, just introduce yourself yeah thanks john uh g'day mark how you going um yeah thanks i'm um dave and the as you said the ibp uh manager and also now heading up the strategy program at ego uh i've been there for about three years um and i was hired in to actually implement the uh, sap ibp software but also the business process so that was um that was what I was brought into Ego to do. But um, my background has been that I've been working in supply chain planning systems and integrated business planning process for about 20 years um, in oil and gas, um, oil and lubricants industries, um, alcohol and retail. Um, interestingly enough, all, all to do with liquids into a bottle, but with varying taste profiles. Um, I've worked with major um, global companies and also a bit of a stint in consulting as well. Uh, I do have to admit, though, that um, I have worked quite um, extensively over that 20 years in another competitor uh, software um, suite, 
Um, but uh, I've now managed to come back to the SAP uh, fold after after a bit of a stint away. So um, I did start my SAP journey uh, 20, 30 years ago, configuring and um, programming FI and MM in R2. So I, I do go back a little way. So I've come back to, to SAP now. So uh, that's me in, in terms of my career, but I also do like to uh, manage my projects and the way I work and use my hobby of uh, improvised theatre. So I'll talk a little bit about that as we go through as well. So, but that's me. Fantastic and, and uh, great to have you here, Dave. And it, it's curious, you, I think you're not the first person we've had on the podcast who has begun their supply chain career in the uh, the alcoholic beverages um, industry. So maybe there is a theme there that we need to explore. But um, this is the first that time... We, um, that we need to take up drinking. Well, you know, <laughs> one way of exploring. <laughs> But is, this is the, the first participation of, of Ego Pharmaceuticals um, in the podcast. And there may be some people out there who, who maybe aren't familiar with, with Ego as, as a name, but I'm sure they're quite familiar with some of your brands. Uh, maybe can you tell us a little bit about uh, Ego Pharmaceuticals, about some of the brands and about some of the growth that, um, that you've experienced uh, in recent times? Yeah, sure, John. And even myself, I'd, I'd never heard of Ego before I applied for the job, to be honest. Um, but Ego is an Australian family owned and Australian manufacturing company, that, and then very proudly so that um, they're currently celebrating their 70th birthday uh, this year. They've, um, yeah, so they've been around for quite a while, and people may actually recognize their brands rather than um, the company of Ego. So 70 years ago, they started making pine tarsal. Um, the owner's parents uh, in a bath, and that was actually the way they started doing it and uh, passing it out to uh, dermatologists that had actually asked for it. And then they built the business up from there into such brands such as QV, uh, Sunsense you've probably heard of, uh, which was one of the um, first SPF 50 um, sunscreens on the market in, in, in the world, uh, Move, uh, Aquium. So some some really uh, key brands there. and and. From over that 70 years, they've just continued to grow and grow and grow, um, double-digit growth just about every year from those 70 years. So that's uh, it's been quite an amazing story for, for the owners who are um, their passion for uh, healthy skin just comes out in the products and, and all of those products are backed by science, very scientific back, which just means that these products just work, which is something that's really attracted me to working here with the integrity of uh, the products and stuff. So, yeah, that's that's ego uh, in a nutshell, really, John. Yeah, no, brilliant. I mean, I certainly know uh, myself and my family are very, uh, very uh, strong advocates of uh, of those products as well. We have many of them in in our household, uh, and I think you know uh, many other Australians are, are exactly the same. Now, today, Dave. We're going to talk a little bit about transformation, you know, specifically, you know, the program that you joined Ego to lead, well, I think, what, two and a half years ago, and how really, you know, Ego managed to get the outcomes they were looking for and, and more. But maybe before we get into, you know, the, the end, let's go back to the start and understand that starting point. What, what were some of the challenges that, you know, that Ego had, I guess, before they started on this transformation journey? Yeah, I, I, um, I touched before about the, the growth that they've had, um, you know, double-digit growth year on year, which is just getting bigger and bigger. And they were, they were getting to a stage where they were just realising that 
what they were doing before and the way they could manage it before just couldn't continue to, to go on the way that it, that it was. So before where they had, uh, you know, one person managing uh, demand planning or supply planning or one person just doing, um, in fact, one person was doing supply planning and purchasing, we've now got two teams that are doing all of that work. So that growth just means that there's more work to do, more to get over. And the way that you were doing it in the past just doesn't work anymore as you're going forward. Uh, you might have a spreadsheet that works to, to do it once, but once you start replicating that into multiple markets, as we started to expand overseas into the Middle East and UK and, and through Asia, that uh, those those things didn't work. And also as a business, the, the owners and, and, and the leaders could see that uh, everything was getting very quite disjointed. So they, they've signed up to that business process of integrated business planning that they knew that they needed to get that stuff together to be able to do that. So that's... The, that, that was the case that they brought me in to do. It was we needed to get that business process of integrated business planning so that we could work together um, as a company now that we're growing bigger and bigger, but it also needed the visibility and the transparency of the systems um, underneath to be able to feed that process and see what was there. So, you know, the kind of visibility that they were having before was, well, I remember one day sitting there, uh, uh, one one night after work, and they just managed to get all of the forecast into the system, and uh, the pup, the the supply planner was sitting behind me and literally swore across the office saying, "What the hell is this?" When they saw the new forecast, and uh, that was the level of transparency that they had. So, uh, really created a business case of being able to try and get visibility and control of the business um, to to move forward. So, yeah, there was really a a, a real business case for change there. Yeah. Now, Mark, I mean, it feels like, you know, there's a bit of a theme starting to emerge, you know, through the different episodes, you know, the, those challenges around, you know, how do you add value in, in the demand plan? How do you get that visibility? How do you build that that trust in the data apart, you know, other than everyone just reverting to their own numbers? Are you are you picking that up as well? Is that consistent with uh, with what you're seeing elsewhere? Yeah, yeah. Great question, John. And it is a theme that I hear all too often. Um, data quality, not trusting the data, too much time being spent on managing and manipulating their data to reflect what they want to see rather than perhaps the reality, right? Um, so it is agnostic to the industry. So <laughs> it's not um, um, industry specific. Of, of I hear it all too often across every industry. And at the end of the day, this exercise of data crunching is actually taking teams time away from actually adding value, using analytics to drive insights, deliver um, um, ongoing growth mindset to the business. And it's a really dangerous paradigm to actually stay in, particularly in Ego's case where they've seen exponential growth um, <clears throat> um, and had to um, devise different ways of working. And even if you change it um, from stopping the data crunching and data manipulation and um, seeing what you want to see rather than reality, it continues to be an ongoing risk. And this is where it becomes necessary to focus on process and ways of working and the resilience, you know, and to be clear that this is what you're leaving behind. Right? So, and I think Ego have done a great job in terms of demonstrating that, not only with process, but with also that executive sponsorship as well. Um, so, yeah, I see it all too often. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so Dave, I mean, you, you've kind of explained that that starting point, but I think for many organisations, they they stay stuck in, in that that same way of working. Um, really, there needs to be you know a point at which you make a decision. Hey, we we have to change. What what was the really the compelling event that got ego on on the transformation journey uh, in relation to planning? Um, I, I guess rather than a a single event, it was a, a number of events, but um, it, it, it was the realization that they weren't being able to control the forecast, and the, they could see that the you know the bullwhip effect of that um, hitting down the the rest of the line, and um, you know we we were getting um, forecasts coming in from uh, overseas that would be putting in and creating huge spikes in in demand that just didn't make any sense, but there was no way of challenging what those numbers were. And then that was always meaning that production was trying to, and purchasing were trying to catch up with long lead times to be able to fulfill that demand, but not being able to understand why the spikes were coming and being able to try and flatten them out was just impossible because they didn't have that. And they knew that their forecast accuracy was poor, but they didn't have the visibility of being able to try and um, open up where that was coming from with the numbers um because it took so long to be able to collect them all into a spot that by the time they finished the first lot they needed to get the second so there was no continuous improvement that was going there so that level of frustration that was coming through from the the leadership team and, and the managers um as well as uh the board sort of not being comfortable with the amount of risk that was being put into the business with relying on excel <laughs> as well so that was also um part of the business case to say that we needed to get much better um, at what we're doing. Um, and, and on top of that, a, a general philosophy from um, Jane, the, the leader, uh, owner and, and leader of the uh, operations side in science was um, she always wants to plan for the success that they want to have. And, and with that growth coming through, they knew that they just couldn't keep doing what they were doing. And it was just a realisation that they needed to push through. So um, quite a few things that just came to a bit of a perfect storm to say, yeah, we just really need to do something and get going. I love that phrase, you know, plan for the success that you want to have, like as a growth business, you know, that is, that's exactly what you want to be doing. And, you know, so it sounds like this was really, I mean, the business was really driving this, you know, they, they were feeling the pain, you know, particularly, as you mentioned, you know, in, in the operations and, and, and purchasing side. Um, did you then, you know, use a, a kind of a best practice as a foundation then to, uh, you know, to start the process? Yeah, absolutely. Um so with our implementation partner, um, SAP, they, they brought the, the best practices and what the recommendations were for what we were trying to achieve. So um, it was great working alongside that and seeing what was the, the suggested way of moving forward to what we've got, because we weren't migrating from one system to a new system. We had um, a base of best practices to be able to jump off and, and work from. And, and that was that was quite valuable through the um, requirement sessions in that, uh, because the, the demand planners that we had were data managers and not demand planners, they didn't actually know what they needed. Um, so it was able to inform them as to what well, this is the best way to go. And then with my 20 years experience in using other systems, I was able to sometimes challenge and and and, and we would move things around a bit. And um, sometimes I'd give up some of my beliefs to go back to the practice. But it was a really fantastic starting point, particularly from from where we were. Um, so, yeah, we, we did use the best practices. but. Um, yeah, and while business process was the 
the thing that we wanted to get to with IVP, it was definitely the IT solution that we needed to get to first and needed to get that right to, to be able to open that up. So um, that was needed the IT solution to get to the business outcome that we needed later. So um, yeah, so that was, that was an interesting process using the best practices and then also having the owners um, trusting that process and having their full support, which just makes everything so much easier than anyone's done any of this kind of work before. And particularly IVP process, if you don't have the support of the managing director and, and the leadership team, it can make things very difficult. But the um, the owners here were just fantastic around that to be able to push things through. Yeah, I think that's another theme that is really coming through in a number of the different episodes around that that importance of having um, the right level of, of business sponsorship. And it certainly sounds like uh, like Ego had had really great you know business spot sponsorship, but the approach of Hey, let's set up the technology. Let's use those best practices in order to then facilitate the business process change. Uh, Mark, this this seems to make a, a lot of sense. You know, particularly when you've got that strong mandate from your executive business sponsors. Oh, absolutely, John. And for me, it's the perfect situation. You know, best practice and shortens the time to value. Um, and supports the capability build and drives engagement um, and with the sponsorship of the executive team and lowers the total cost of ownership because you're deploying best practices, right? And encourages the one way, one way of doing things and the leadership sponsorship in, um, means that um, the whole business um, is behind the way they run their business and the way that they improve their business. So for me, um, it's um, Dave and the team there at Ego, along with the um, executive team, who've just done a wonderful job um, in adopting um, the best practice and have that right level of executive support and sponsorship as well. It's a, it's a model to go forward with. Fantastic. So, Dave, you know, implementing technology, you know, leveraging best practices and introducing business process changes. I mean, clearly this is going to change the way that you know people were working inside ego how did you approach the change management side of this to ensure you know adoption of those new processes and that new technology um, yeah well we we had an interesting situation and I'll, and I'll talk about the it implementation rather than the business process at this stage but uh, we're a, a smaller company and um so that means our smaller user base with um you know three demand planners, a demand manager. So not large, but also they're the people that um, understand what, well, they, they're the, the people that were running the process at the time. So um, there wasn't many to change uh, over in terms of just the, the demand planning piece, but um, most of them didn't actually sort of buy into this is what the change was. They were already fed up with their jobs. They'd already gotten frustrated with what was going on and, and they'd never been a demand planner with a with a system before and just quite frankly didn't believe what we were telling them that the new world was going to be like. So uh, we had um, all but one of the demand planners request for moves and the demand manager um, right after all the requirement sessions put in his resignation to move in. So we had to actually lost our pretty much our whole stakeholder management team. Now a team that I needed to stakeholder manage with. Um, which is sounding like a disaster and was quite stressful at the time. But what it actually meant was we're able to bring in new people with different experiences and then um, give them the new way without having those conversations about, well, we've always done it this way. 
um, why don't we doing it this way anymore? It was sort of, no, this is what we're doing and this is where we're going and being able to bring them in for the ride. Um, <clears throat> but with that um, change in ownership meant that the old way, nobody, we didn't have the base to actually keep the old way continuing to run as well. So we actually made a decision to say, well, we're going to draw a line in the sand here and stop the old way completely, um, go into a pause for a month or two, and then implement implement the smallest amount of what we could possibly do uh, with a minimum viable product of actually just capturing the forecast and getting them published. Um, so that gained um, a lot of ownership from the people that were new to the company and said, well, now I'm being trained how to do my job and what we need to do. So that was really good. And then... Um, with that cohort, um, I, we created a real rapport amongst them around, well, we need to be able to get this over, but we um, were able to create a an environment of, you know, we're all in at this together and being able to fail um, if we needed to along together. So the stakeholder management piece was, you know, we're all in this together to be able to get it through. So um, that was the way I, approached it. I'd like to use some of my improvised theatre um, um, mandates and, you know, with um, applying that into the workplace around failing joyfully. And we um, got that rapport and we gave them a safe space to fail as they were learning and trying to, to design things going forward. And uh, yeah, it was really quite fun in doing that. So yeah, that's that's the way we approached it. Stressful but fun, <laughs> uh, which probably is exactly what improvised theatre is, is <laughs> I would imagine, in a nutshell. But I guess, you know, with that, you know, the loss of those resources and the manager and everything, I mean, many organisations would have gone, hold it, we need to we need to step back and, and you know, rethink this. And But instead, you know, you kind of took the opposite approach saying, well, Okay, we're we're just gonna we're gonna make the change now. We're gonna implement those basics. We're gonna compress the timelines to to make it happen. What what was the outcome of that? You know, you know, taking that approach. Um, it was actually quite good in that um, we we just got in and, and and got it done, and we were able to start using the system a lot earlier without needing to worry about duplicating. Uh, uh, streams of, of work and saying, well, we've got to do it the old way, compare it and see if the new way is better, all of that. Um, so the result by doing a minimal viable product and ensuring that at least we could capture the data, we could see what it is and it made sense and putting it through compared to what we were doing was just so chalk and cheese to what was there before that um, the result was actually quite, um, you know, having my time again and actually one of uh, the people we worked with actually suggested doing it a month or two beforehand of just doing that doing that way, but I was stuck in my old ways of, well, you know, you've got to do your stat forecasting first, you've got to build that up, you've got to cleanse it, you've got, you know, it's going to take you months to get all of that and do all of that training. Um, and it, it was actually quite good just to be able to jump in and say, right, no, we, we capture the forecast move and let's go into a continuous improvement type phase. And I think everyone else enjoyed that as well, where they got to learn, well, this is what I need to do now to do my job. And once they were able to do that, we're able to keep building on and saying, well, now you need this bit, now you need this bit. So um, by planning out everything that we needed to do with, with this implementation partner and where we're going to go, that was great. But we just sort of let it out in smaller bits. And the demand planners were ready for the smaller bits as we we're going, rather than taking everything as a whole and trying to cap, you know, figure out what that was. We're able to say, right, that bit's working right now. Let's do the next bit and just look at um, our reporting and then let's do the next bit and just continually build the skills of the group. 
and that actually worked really well, really well for us. So um, in some ways, I sort of wish we had just gone that path um, a couple of months earlier without being pushed into it. <laughs> And bring everyone on the on the journey together. Like you say, you're you're all in it in it together, and and everybody's uh, working towards that that outcome. Mm. I mean, I think Mark, when we look at you know, and a few of the conversations that we've had now, it's clear that you know when you're making this type of transformation, you know, the impacts can be quite far reaching, and you do run the risk of losing you know, um, you know, some of your your existing people, your good people in, in the process. You know, I guess at Ego, that, that project delivery approach, using best practices and, and using that kind of minimal viable product and to overcome some of those adoption challenges makes for a really a really different approach, I guess, to what you might traditionally look at. What what are your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. And in, in terms of investing, I, I love this uh, the story and of Dave and, and basis of you know, things um, took a left turn um, <laughs> after requirements gathering. They then um, paused and pivoted. Right? They took their foot off the accelerator for a period, decided on a slightly different approach of delivering MVP um, and then building on that, but also at the same time investing in new capabilities and new skills of a new team so that they actually didn't have to look back to um, drive adoption um, and, and things like that, or convince people of adoption um, and so forth. So um, I love the way that they um, stopped, pivoted, changed approach um, and delivered um, an alternative pathway to get to the same outcome using MVP um, and new capabilities and new skills. Um, it was interesting a little bit earlier that um, Dave called out um, the importance of the process and, and how the use of um, the best practices and the pivoting to MVP supported that process. Right? And with best practice and of enabling technology to support that process, for me, is the recipe uh, for success and adoption. But investing in new skills and new capabilities and start, um, <clears throat> I guess, reading the room. Um, in, and reading the circumstances and adapting um, is is really key to to uh, is the, are the other um, I guess in, ingredients to that success. And again, it's something that um, uh, Dave and the Ego team have been able to navigate through really successfully. Yeah, um, we've obviously we've talked a lot about you know the the process that you went through, but Dave, I'm keen to understand a little bit more about, I guess, the outcomes, you know, after going through that, you know, that change and pivoting, uh, how how has this changed the way that, that Ego approaches planning and, and what are some of the outcomes that you've managed to achieve? Uh, well, first of all, we're getting visibility to the forecast before publishing it. Um, and uh, that, it's amazing what that can do. Um, and uh, the first month where we've collated it all together and put it through and started comparing back to budgets and, um, and getting a getting that look instantaneously, we've gone. Oh my goodness, we actually have a large problem here between what we're planning to do and what we're actually going to be able to do. Um, actually, gave me a kickstart to actually implementing the IBP process with an MBA management business review with um, with the leadership team, saying, "Well, we need to sort this out 
now. <laughs> you know, I, I had a program that I was going to roll it out over six months, train people in the process, what their roles were, all of that kind of stuff that you do with an IBP process implementation. And quite frankly, it just gave us the case for change to say, hang on, we need to do this right now. So that was um, the biggest change that happened was bringing forward the business process piece now that we had the visibility of what was actually happening. So um, yeah, that got things going quite fast, but also um, the, the things like the analytics, we implemented that, I think the second month uh, after we went live so we could do our forecast accuracy um, seeing where the gaps were, but then we were able to go down to a skew level um, for bias, which we weren't measuring before, um, and see where the gaps were, as well as the forecast accuracy, give that access out to the business managers at, um, globally that they could actually start looking at that themselves. And the cool thing about that too was that we were doing it on the second or third day of the month, whereas before we were just giving a high level forecast accuracy at the end of the month with no insight and no way of actually trying to improve it. You know, we brought that forward a whole month so that we could actually start reducing our over forecasting bias, which was quite large to say, to say the least. So that's one of the major changes that came through quite quickly. And um, I mentioned before around the demand spikes that were coming through, we, we have managed to actually eliminate them uh, pretty much completely where we're now seeing what was causing them. We're able to converse with the business as to what their plans were and what their purchasing was, because we could see what they were trying to do over the next number of months and, and to get to what the agreements were and um, and managed to uh, work together to make sure that it was a, a planned um, purchasing program that we could get um, product to them so that they would still go. So those were the three real big ones that, that came through, enabling the business process to start kickstarting it really quickly. Um, using the analytics functions and seeing, you know, forecast accuracy right at the start of the month, second, third day of the month, and being able to do something about it and working with the business to say, oh, you can see this, we can do something about it. And getting rid of those demand spikes have been huge for us too. So they're, they're some of the three key outcomes that we got out of it um, quite quickly. Yeah, I think that that timeliness of the data, you know, we, we quite often don't don't realise how how much value that adds, you know, having visibility like you say, early enough that you can actually then take action to do something as opposed to, you know, looking in that rear view mirror and going, ah, oh, yeah, that problem happened. You know, but we, we didn't have a chance. But Mark, I mean, that, John, sorry, just to jump in, yeah, but um, no, I, one thing that I have been really, really impressed with with the um, IBP stuff is is with the analytics and the forecast accuracy reporting and bias and 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 what it actually comes with out of the box. Um, you know, I've been on programs for, for many years where we've tried to get that to work and spent millions of dollars on business warehouses trying to get lag reporting right and all of that before an implementation only to not use it or not get it right. But this stuff was working pretty much out of the box almost, you know, you know, within a month or two of us sort of really looking into it and getting it there. And, you know, a number of times I've had people saying this number's not right and every single time I've gone back, it's been correct. Like it's it's just been so robust. So that's been real, one of the real impressive things for me when picking this up. And that that's definitely you know the, the time spent in, in you know when people are challenging those numbers. And, you yeah. know, and and if, if if people don't have that that belief, 
you know, you can spend a lot of time, you know, just trying to get everybody on that that same page. And Absolutely. so having having a rock solid set of uh, starting points, you know, is is really important. But I was going to mark say that this also, you know, what Dave was just describing there does remind me also of what Cornelia from Ansto shared with us around how Absolutely. just having that visibility over the data started surfacing problems and things that you know people had, had said oh no this this is not happening you know it had kind of been yeah. hidden for many many years um but all of a sudden these things become glaringly obvious and and you kind of can't hide them anymore and it it really provokes a, a very different conversation uh, that you know when you've got that information oh absolutely and you you spot on just like and and stoke and, and cornelia um, have mentioned in previous podcasts, uh, Dave and Ego are seeing the benefits of actually fusing um, together or pairing together the advanced planning um, capabilities um, with the analytics. And, and it clearly means you know, new insights and being able to make agile decisions. And just in, in listening to what this is, the changes that they've been able to deploy from having a, I guess, um, a, a hopeful plan to a realistic or deliverable plan that can be represented visually in near real time using out-of-the-box capabilities which are aligned with best practice calculations like the score methodology um, can actually then present um, something that everyone can sign up to agree on understand the risks and opportunities and take action um, in in near real time so absolutely we're seeing that consistency of um, the um, the pairing of the advanced planning um, and the advanced analytics um, delivers uh, um, insights um, and understanding that have probably been hidden behind an opportunistic or hopeful plan that are now um, being uncovered and action can be taken. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dave, I mean, you were talking about those those first few months after after implementing uh, integrated business planning. But, I mean, you're now two years you know, um, into into the process. Uh, you know, what what other business improvements have you have you been able to deliver and able to support as part of the journey? Well, there's one 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 that's become as a surprise that we hadn't actually planned on doing that. Um, we, the owners came with, with a particular problem around capital spend and we only had so much capital to spend but so many projects to do and what was the way that they would prioritise that capital was done as well. Well, we think this is the best way to go. And they gave us a challenge soon after to say, well, you know, how do we know what this demand is doing going forward and the impacts on our production lines and inventory going forward? And because we bought the um, SNOP module as well as the demand planning module, we were doing some supply planning um, to help our distributor um, business to work out what they needed to order. But we were able to figure out that we could actually bring in production plans and, um, uh, and, and use the capability of SNOP to actually, what we actually started to do was create a five year plan going in, uh, getting the business to sit down and say, well, not only what are you doing now, but what are your plans for growth going for the next five years? and bringing them all into the room, collating all of that, and then modelling that back onto the supply planning lines 
um, and modelling what our inventory is going to be to, to, to highlight the case as to what we needed to do for building new cream lines or building a new warehouse when that needed to be and doing the timing um, of that um, in a scientific way where we could say this is what we need to do given that this is where we're planning to be. So that was not actually planned at any stage of what we wanted to do. But um, when we realised that we had the capability to do that, um, that's been a process now that we've run a couple of times. And the last time we had most of the senior managers come from, um, they were around for our 70th birthday, they'd come in for a big party for, for the company and um, we took them through those plans and they were just blown away by the insights that they could see from that. So that was, that's more of a surprise than anything, but the clarity and the, vis the visualization about what we're going to be doing going forward was um, quite good. But other things such as I mentioned stat forecasts that I was going to do them first, we've sort of done them last because we've been getting um, value out of just having the conversations and the, um, and the visibility, but um, we're now taking over the, we've now taken over the forecasting of C-class products and using the stat forecast to do that. Um, and taking that off the business who are massively over forecasting and, and creating problems there. So that's been another step forward. So, you know, they're just a couple of things as well as the business process of, I talked about the management business review at the at the leadership MD level, but the uh, market reviews at the regional director level now, um, you know, particularly in our international business, which covers many geographies, um, they're just feeling they've got far more control over what's going on now because they have visibility of what's going and they're able to talk about what the issues are. Whereas before it was only by exception that whatever he was told he would manage. Now there's no running away from what the numbers are saying. So that's been a huge change as well. So they're just a couple of highlights from, from what's been there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's quite remarkable. I mean, quite often when when we talk about integrated business planning, typically we're, we're talking about quite sort of tactical planning, you know, the next next month, next, you know, next year sort of thing. But, you know, you're now using that, that same integrated business planning platform and process to support, you know, your, a five-year strategic horizon and looking at some of the, you know, the capital investment decisions that you're, you might make over that. That's uh, That's tremendous. So I mean, Mark, it, it it sounds sounds so easy when when Dave explained it. You know, this wasn't even something they were planning to do; it just happened. But you know, moving from tactical planning to strategic planning, you know, when you're using an integrated business planning approach, I mean, how do you do that? Is it is it different different models, different versions? How do you how do you approach it? Yeah, there's thanks, John. There's multiple ways um, that you can approach it, and I think that it is a key plank of SAP IBP's capability, the ability to fuse the tactical and the strategic, and um, the actual tool itself does this very well. So from my perspective, um, they do have different models or modules to support both the tactical, operational and executional horizon and, and the strategic horizon, but importantly, they're also interconnected. Uh, so if I take, for example, in Dave's case, they had um, the SNOP module, and 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 from that they could manage um, um, uh, their medium to long term and strategic plans, driving their procurement, their category plan, their their capital plans, their market plans, um, and things like that. And they importantly their um, their innovation plans as well, right? So they could actually see what is possible and what is not possible. So that's um, that's really important. Um, and has been successfully deployed 
with the with with Dave and the team at Ego. But also then there's another module, um, the IBP time series or supply and response side of things, which is more around the tactical operational executional plan, which actually manages the short term plan. So the great thing about SAP IVP is that it caters for both uh, for both um, horizons. Um, and, and does it very successfully and the insights that you get out from an executional perspective can be translated into your production plan um, and um, um, in the short to medium term and in the longer term you can plan for the success that you want to have um, uh, from using SNOP and using either the operating plan in SNOP or you can actually use different versions to actually scenario plan to say what if so IVP has multiple dimensions and multiple capabilities to support both the tactical and strategic plans using different modules that are housed underneath the same roof called IVP. Absolutely. So look, I, I'd like to say a, a huge thank you, Dave, for, for joining us and, and telling us about uh, EGO's SAP IVP journey. I mean, it's it's really impressive the way that you know, you dealt with those initial you know project challenges. You pivoted the the project, you know, focused on that minimal viable product, and then managed to actually over deliver on on the business outcomes. Uh, it's been an amazing story, and I just really want to thank you for for sharing it. Yeah, thank you. And, and you know, it's it's not just me. Obviously, it's a, it's a great team I got to work with, and the implementation partner working with um, SAP was was fantastic in helping us achieve all of that. So, yeah, as a team, we've done done, done quite good things. So, thanks for that, John. And uh, I guess before we bring the curtain down, uh, Mark, thank you for sharing uh, your insights. Any any last words? Any last insights you wanted to share? Yeah, listen for me. Um... Dave and what the team at Ego have achieved, um, have you, they've used its leadership openness and, and understanding of you know wh where it wanted to be and how it wanted to get there to accelerate the process adoption with technology um, as a key plank in that in that um, strategy um, to deliver a culture and an environment of being agile, adapting to emerging opportunities, being open to changing the plan. And with permission of being able to, as I've said, fail joyfully. <laughs> um, I think the ego need, from my perspective, in terms of SAP IVP adoption, rollout of best practice, delivery of MVP, and then delivery of business value on a short term and strategic long term perspective. Need to accept the chocolates, flowers, and applause of the crowd and expect that sellout season. <laughs> yeah, it feels like uh, we have succeeded joyfully in this particular case, and uh, I'd like to like to thank the orchestra, thank the stage crew, and of course our stars of the show, Dave Booker and Mark Golly, and of course you, the audience. I'd like to thank you for attending uh, and for listening to this discussion. Um, please feel free to check back soon for a, a new episode of the Integrated Business Planning Experience. We can't wait to have you join us. Thank you. Thank you.